Father, we come before you this morning. We thank and praise you for this time that we can assemble together in your name. Lord, we ask that you would instruct us out of your word today. We pray for those that are here that do not yet know you as their Savior. Lord, that you would open their eyes and let them see the wonders in your word and simply believe as a little child. Lord, we pray for those who are saved that we would have our eyes opened as well to see that we are a needy people, that we need your power and your strength and your ability to live for you this week. We ask you to do your work in our midst that we may bring glory to your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is the Sunday before the 4th of July. How many of you are glad that you're an American today? Would you just lift a hand? And just how many of you are American citizens that were not born here? Uh, Let's just, my hand's not up, but there's a good number of us today. You know, America is one of, well, one of the greatest strengths and greatest wonders of this country is that people can come here from anywhere and be a part. Uh, that does not mean this country's perfect, and this sermon and by no means is going to be a- an apologetic for the United States of America this morning. Uh, this country has done wrong things. We really uh, do that, but we saw those hands raised. How many of you are the children of immigrants? Your parents came and change their citizenship. And then, how many of you are third generation like myself? My grandparents, my grandfather on my father's side came. On my mother's side, I don't know how far they go back. Uh, uh, it goes way, 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 way back, almost to the Mayflower. But uh, the simple truth of the matter is, we're all, the children of immigrants. Now, I know there's somebody in there saying, yeah, the American Indians, where did they come from? Does anybody know? Mongolia. How many people knew that? The American Indians were actually related to the Mongolians. They came across through Alaska and immigrated down into and because there was this thing several thousand years ago called Noah's Flood. And everybody that was living would have been in modern-day Turkey. And they began to spread out from there and people the earth once again. Our church, just a little over 20 years old, I've seen things in my lifetime that my grandparents, my parents even, never thought would occur. And we're not talking positive things. Our church was barely a month old when Bill Clinton was elected president of the United States. Honestly, and I'm not making this up, you wonder why I refer to Bill Clinton so often, but that is a real turning point in the history of this nation. Uh, I can think of very few things 
that weighed my soul down more than hearing the news that that man had been elected. My wife worried about me. I went on a walk. She said, I hope you were coming back. And I said, yes, yes. But I had to get some things straightened out because I couldn't imagine that kind of man. And this is what he was before, not he just pre-proved it after. But the problem with Bill Clinton, I knew that it spelled tragedy for our country. But the tragedy that I was looking for did not happen. It was a far greater tragedy. And I'd like us to turn to Isaiah chapter 39. This is not our text this morning, but we're just trying to set the table here. Under the presidency of Bill Clinton, especially his second term, we saw immorality elevated. I've often given American history in four sentences. President George Washington, I cannot tell a lie. President Richard Nixon, I cannot tell the truth. Bill Clinton, I cannot tell the difference. That's American history. The saddest part of this whole thing is that many of God's people, though they abhorred the things that Bill Clinton did personally and in his life and demeaning the office and, and the... Uh, uh, office of the presidency and, and bringing into our language vulgar terms that were never spoken of even in secret now are openly talked about by little children walking up and down the streets. But the greatest tragedy is what most of many of God's people did. They adopted what I call the philosophy of Hezekiah. It's found here in Isaiah chapter 39. And this is not the sermon, but just walking into it this morning. Hezekiah had been granted a great blessing by God. He was sick. He was told by the prophet that he would die. And the Bible says that Hezekiah prayed and wept sore and God spoke to Isaiah before he even got to the outer court of the palace and says, go back and tell Hezekiah, I've heard his prayer. I'm going to give him 15 years. After he recovered, the king of Babylon sent ambassadors. And instead of Hezekiah taking them to the temple and saying the greatest treasure of Israel is a God that cannot be seen, is a God that can deliver from death. He took them on a tour of Jerusalem and showed them all of his cunning works and his power and his riches. And Isaiah rebuked him for this. In verse 6, of chapter 39, verse 5, let's just get the beginning. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thy house 
And that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Here's the philosophy of Hezekiah. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, Moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. Do you get that? He said, Everything's good because it's going to be good while I'm alive. We, we have this thing that we call the American dream. The American dream basically is that I will provide for my children a better life than I had. Certainly the patriots of the revolution could say that, could they not? Because they gave their children a life free from the tyranny of the king of England. And as we go through our history, we can say that that's true of many generations till the 1950s. That was not true. People went crazy. They thought they had reached the kingdom of God on earth when Hitler and the Nazis had been defeated, fascism had been turned down. There was a few Americans. One of them, I believe, the greatest American that has lived in this century, Douglas MacArthur, that stood up against the government and says, you're missing the greatest threat that we still have to face. And would he been allowed to do as he thought to do as a military commander, communism would have died in the 50s, not the 90s. But you see, this philosophy of Hezekiah had set in. As long as it's good in my days, God's good. When Jesus started his church, let me tell you something. It was not good to be a Jewish person. They were slaves of Rome. It would be a few years later after Christianity was recognized for its own religion that they would be marched into the Colosseum and the circus at Rome and slaughtered by the tens of thousands. I believe it was the Edict of Diocletian that completely depeopled areas of the Roman Empire because of their faith in Jesus Christ. You see, when we started this church, what was on my heart was with this election, our country is in trouble. I never dreamed that 20 years later we would still be here as a free nation. 
But we are. And we thank the Lord that we went from four to what you see here this morning and others getting ready to start a new church in Brooklyn, seeing God do some incredible things in these dark days. See, I had to get some things straightened out. I thought it was all over. But God said, what do you believe in? Well, of course I believe in the Bible. Amen? Well, where's the answer? Uh, Oh, that's right. It's not in the government. It's in the church. Because that's the only thing Jesus gave us. He gave us his word. And he gave us a church wherewith we can struggle together to live it. You see, I don't care what the question is. The answer is right here, the local church. Because that's God's plan. There are no alternate plans. There's nothing bigger than a local church. There is no overseeing authority except for that of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. There have been some people through the years that have come and they said, I I just don't get this, what you mean by the local church. And and, uh, one guy went so far, he says, oh, you mean Christ is the head and all these little bodies are dangling off of one head. And I said, well, where in the world did you get that idea? Well, the, where he got that idea is he truly believed and refused to let go of this universal invisible idea that the church goes all over the place and every person that, that names the name of Jesus Christ is made into this church. Now, let me explain something. The Bible does talk about a church where all believers of all ages are gathered together. But guess what? It's still in one place. It's in heaven. You see, there's no such thing as an invisible church. It's visible. There's no such thing as a universal church that spreads all over the world. As far as Christ is concerned, as far as we understand things, he treats Open Door Bible Baptist Church of Astoria as if it were the only church in existence. He is our head. He is our director. He answers our prayers. He has given us a commission to carry out But you know what is so wonderful? Is that there are literally tens of thousands, and no one can count the number of independent Baptist churches. You know why? Because when someone calls up and says, is this an independent Baptist church? Can I put you down in my book? Say, no, you can't put me down in your book. I'm independent. And so you can't get a count of everybody. 
In fact, I know one preacher that tried to do that. And uh, we called him up and said, hey, take our name out of your book. You got some people in there that we don't want to be friends with. I'm sorry. You see, my duty is not horizontal as much as it is vertical. When things are right between me and God, between our church and God. Guess what we do? We work together with other churches horizontally, whether we want to or not. I mean, one of the greatest examples, and I refer to it often, uh, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's why I love Heartland. Send a number five there in a couple of months. That's my treasure. But you know what? Our church has invested treasure in Heartland. And I praise God for that. And we've given time. But I'll tell you what, we've reaped far more than we've ever spent. How many enjoyed the singing girls last Sunday? Wasn't that a blessing? I mean, that was just good old-fashioned music. And they didn't even need a drum set to get it done. What a blessing. We don't borrow from the world to serve the God of heaven. But what we're trying to do is live in obedience to God's word in and through his church. His church is the context for your Christianity. And I've titled this sermon, Please Bless America Again. Because as we think of this nation, I'll tell you what, I'm, I, I hate to say this, it's going to be misunderstood, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm sick and tired of hearing God bless America. We do not have a right to demand God's blessings. We do not have a right to stand before the God of heaven and say, bless this country because I love it. He loves the whole world. He has blessed this nation in ways that no other country in the history of the world has been blessed. Why? Not because everyone but because a group of people that lived here have loved and served him. We have some people today trying to make all of the founding fathers, Bible-believing, strong, independent Baptist. They weren't. Many of them had a great faith in God. And I love the story of George Washington being baptized by his personal chaplain, which was the founding pastor of the First Baptist Church in Manhattan named John Gano. They have the picture of Washington's baptism in the Potomac River in the rotunda of the Capitol building. By the way, Baptist preachers don't baptize people who have not professed faith in Jesus Christ unless they're a fake Baptist preacher. 
of which there are many today. I love that. One of the saddest things I found was I was reading Ronald Reagan's autobiography and he said, my faith is in the Church of Christ. You see, they talk about Christ, but if you really believe what the Church of Christ teaches, your faith has to be mixed with the waters of the baptistry in order to save you. And if you mix your faith with anything, my friend, it will not save you. Your faith must be in Jesus Christ alone. Nowhere else, nothing else. You see, the answer is Jesus' church. You can't have everybody in agreement. If you do, it's because everyone has become slaves of whoever the significant one or the greater mind is. That's the only way the world gets the kind of unity it talks about. It is through force. It is through the sword. That's why they laughed at the founding documents of this country and they laughed at people who would say, the power of the government is derived from the people. That was ludicrous. Nobody believed that in the 1700s. They were still arguing about the divine right of kings. Meaning that God blessed these few wonderful, incredibly talented and thoughtful people to rule all of the rest of us ignorant masses who don't even know how to brush our own teeth unless we have instructions in the box. I'll tell you what. That's what we were trying to get rid of is that kind of tyranny. And to have a country where people could make their own decisions. Thursday is July 4th. Now, we have church on Thursday night. So we're going to modify things a little bit with your help and meet a little earlier, and we'll put some hot dogs and hamburgers on the grill, and hopefully everybody will bring some salads and desserts and all of those things, and we'll just... Do what Baptists enjoy most other than preaching and seeing people get saved, and that's eating. Amen? And, and we'll have some games and some fun time, and then we'll have a service. And by God's grace, I, I want to preach again on Thursday night on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think that's something that each American needs to understand. If you're going to live in this country... You need to understand what those three things are. And the pursuit of happiness is not pursuing what makes you happy. That's not what it is. Unfortunately, that's the definition that has been given. We'll, we'll tr try to conquer that on uh, Thursday night by God's grace. But I'd like you to turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 7. And this is a verse that's often been quoted about the woes of our nation now, we know that this verse applies to the children of Israel. This was an answer to Solomon's prayer 
at the dedication of the first temple in Jerusalem. Verse 14 of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Many of you probably have this verse memorized. It's not a bad idea to do that. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I've heard that verse preached a lot. But I want to do it a little different today. I want to make a connection. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to work our way down through a letter of Jesus to his church at Laodicea. And I believe that we'll see an incredibly strong correlation between 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 3. You see, Jesus starts out 2 Chronicles chapter 7 by saying, If my people, which are called by my name, verse 14, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, here's what Jesus is saying to his church. He says, I am the faithful and true witness. What are you supposed to be doing, church? A faithful and true witness. Jesus recognized this church as his own. I want you to get that. Jesus addressed this church as his own church. Now, this church had more problems than all the other churches, the six other churches put together, but Jesus still recognized this church as his own. God has never dealt with societies other than the nation of Israel, he deals with individuals. In this age, he deals with his church. The problem is, his church is not doing what it's supposed to do. Hence, we have problems. Now, we all must understand this goes in the overall context of Scripture, and the prophecies that are in here must be fulfilled. There will be a one-world government under the power of the man the Bible calls the Antichrist, the beast. Somebody said the other day, well, I think Obama's the Antichrist. I said, I don't think anybody would confuse him for Jesus. Do you? Uh, I think we're pretty safe there. By the way, they're pretty safe with almost all of the presidents of the United States as far as that is concerned. Amen? But the simple truth of the matter is Jesus is writing to this church just as he spoke to Israel. He said, my people which are called by my name. He says unto the angel of the church at Laodicea, write. I'm sorry. Can you turn the fan down just a little bit, Brother Zach? It's blowing my Bible pages here. It says... These things saith the Amen. 
Now, how many of you remember the sermon on Amen? Okay. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, that does not mean he was the first thing created. That means creation had its origin, its source in him. He is the beginning of the creation because he created everything. John chapter 1, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so Jesus is the creator, and he is speaking to his church here. He's not speaking to everyone. He's not talking to the world. Do you ever wonder why the gospel wasn't written in the stars so that we could see it at night? Or it's not printed in the sky uh, by angels during the day uh, or uh, printed in the rocks of the mountains and, and written with the trees of the forest. It's because that's not the way God intended to get his message out. In the Old Testament, he used his people, Israel. In the New Testament, he uses his church, a local assembly of believers. And this specific local assembly in Laodicea, he is writing, he is admonishing them. And so one of the problems that we as people of faith have had over the last several years is... They want to go out there and fight the world. What happens when we are fighting the world is we are neglecting our relationship with God. While we're out there trying to explain to everyone else how bad and how wicked they are, we forget about how bad and how wicked we are. That's the story of Laodicea. You see, the first thing Jesus said, God said to Solomon in Second Chronicles, if my people which are called by my name shall what? Humble themselves. You know, pride is the greatest sin in the Bible. Pride is the sin that made Lucifer, son of the morning, the anointed cherub that covereth into the devil. Read Isaiah chapter 14. The issue is pride. But let's look at the church at Laodicea. I know thy works, verse 15, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. We want to think good about ourselves. That's just a human desire. I mean, we have people that have preached the doctrine of self-esteem to the point to where 
We have people who can do nothing, who know absolutely nothing, feeling good about that. That's pretty scary now, isn't it? We, we can no longer play competition sports because somebody has to lose, and that would demean their self-esteem. We can no longer preach an absolute truth because we no longer believe truth is absolute. In order to say that, you must deny the existence of God because he himself is the absolute truth. And when you deny God, where else are you going to go, my friend? I'll tell you where you're going to go. Right where our nation has gone. And doing the foolish and sad things that our nation does. And allowing sin and giving immorality, civil rights. It breaks my heart to see these things happen. But we're not going to get anywhere by going out and protesting gay pride parades. That's not the answer. When prohibition came through this country and this country outlawed the use of liquor, you know what had happened? There were multiple stories of so many people getting saved in a town that they had to close the bars down. They couldn't keep it open. Now, if you want revival, my friend, that's the way to get it. Like Brother Franz said, tell somebody about Jesus, amen? If you truly get saved, you're going to truly give up all of those worldly catastrophes and, 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 and devices and things. But the problem is, if we're going to seek God's face, it's got to start with God's people, which are called by God's name, humbling themselves. I mean, I believe it's right from time to time to take some moments and recognize what the Lord has done. And I'm thankful for every dollar the Lord's allowed our church to give to missions, every soul that's gotten saved, every, every good thing that has been done. But let me ask you a question. Is it enough, my friend? No, it's not. We need to ask God to open our eyes and let us see us for who we are. We are wretched. We're miserable. We're poor. We're not changing the world. But I'll tell you what, the world's changing a lot of churches. The definition of poor is not having the means to get it done, whether it's to buy food for yourself. This is talking about a spiritual poorness. But if we'll go back to the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. But you know what? There's nothing worse. Nothing worse in this world than a poor man who thinks he's rich. There is nothing more damaging 
Nothing more dangerous than that. Or a blind person that thinks they can see. I mean, that's dangerous, is it not? Bad things are going to happen, especially if you get behind the wheel of an automobile. And you think you can see, but you cannot. You see, the first thing is to humble themselves. And Jesus condemns this church at Laodicea for its pride. You know, I'm glad that everyone took time this morning to look in the mirror and to dress themselves and to groom themselves and to put on good clothes. I believe somebody said, you have a dress code at your church. Absolutely not. You should never allow your clothes to keep you from coming to church. But I'll tell you what, everybody buys clothes somewhere. And as you make your choices after salvation, you ought to make choices that reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. I made an amazing discovery the other day. And this is going to sound silly to most of you, but I found out that you can pay $100 for a pair of blue jeans. I, I never knew that. One of my daughters said, hey, they got a pair of jeans on, online here for $100 or something like that. Maybe it was even more. And I'm sitting there, <coughs> that's ridiculous. Why would I have a $100 pair of jeans when I could buy a suit? You can get a suit, a shirt, and a tie. Not the finest material, but you can still get all of that. So don't give me any of this about, I don't have money. People spend money on what they want to spend money on. We got to open our eyes, my friend, and realize that we are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Because then, and only then, can we come and obey the next command that was given to this church. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with salve that thou mayest see. How do I buy gold that's been tried in the fire? 1 Peter chapter 1, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Ah, but that's trial, that's pain. Uh, that's good. Because tribulation builds patience, doesn't it? And when patience has had her perfect work, you will be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The problem is, we want all of the things that God has to offer us without having to give up a thing. Have you ever thought about what Jesus gave up so that he could live on this earth? So that he could die on the cross for us? Tell you what, there's nothing I've given up for Jesus 
that he hasn't given up a thousand times over for me. That's why it's called my reasonable service. How do I get that white raiment? Read the rest of the book of Revelation. The white raiment that the the saints are arrayed in is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can't get that on your own. I don't care how much good you do. You've got to go to the Savior. It's got to be His righteousness that covers us. Otherwise, not one of us would ever get into heaven. It says that we need to anoint our eyes with ISAB that we can see. I don't know how many of you have ever had a real problem with your eyes. Where you can't see through that eye. And then the doctor does what needs to be done. Remove the article that is stuck in your eye or put the, heal the disease and clean that disease out of your eye or even just give you a pair of glasses that you can put on. I never will forget the first time I put on glasses. The doctor said, no, these aren't too strong, but they'll help you see a little better. Wow, this is a beautiful world in which I live. When I had my first eye test, they they said at school, uh, read the first letter at the top there. I said, what letter is that? The big E at the top of the chart had disappeared in the fifth grade, and without help, I have not been able to see it since. But I'll tell you what, I praise God for the help. How many of you remember the first time you came to this church and you thought I was a raving lunatic and now you say amen so you've become one too, amen? Say, that scares me, preacher. Are you trying to brainwash me? Well, the best way I know how to put it is you get enough of this word in your brain and it'll be clean, amen? And that's what we all need is a clean brain. You see, we can't see as we ought to. He gave instruction. He said, I want you to pray and seek my face. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You want God to bless this country. Well, then you need to join with me and start seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God will hear those prayers. Here's the hardest one. Turn from your wicked ways. But pastor, Elvis sang hymns. I've had people tell me that. He also died of an overdose of drugs. You want to do that too? We don't go to the world. There's nothing there for the Christian. It's all an imitation. It's a sham. It's a lie. Everybody wants to think good about themselves. But broad is the way. 
Wide is the gate. Wide is the gate that leadeth unto destruction. Wide is the gate and broad is the way which leadeth unto destruction and many be that go in thereat. It's a narrow gate, a straight gate. It's a narrow way that leadeth unto life. And the only way you can enter that gate, the only way you can walk that way is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I'm glad it doesn't stop there. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, what does it say? Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Let's see if the correspondence continues. Verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I've heard these verses preached many times about salvation. That's really not what they're talking about. They're talking to his church. In order to be a member of his church, you first must be saved then you must be baptized and you must desire to live the Bible way. Now, how you could do one of those things without doing the other, I don't know. Uh, The Bible does not explain that type of Christianity. A person who trusts their soul to the Lord Jesus Christ will want to identify with him in believer's baptism and will want to serve in the local church. And if you got a problem with that, then we need to go back and start checking out what kind of salvation you have because it just might not be the Bible kind. There's lots of imitations out there, my friend. But I want to challenge you that as weak and as sinful and as prone to failure as we are as human beings, He's still standing at the door knocking. God is ready to do miraculous things through his church. He is not unable. I've heard preachers preach, we're in the Laodicean age and there's nothing that can happen. It's a lukewarm church, so we'll do the best we can. That's not what it says here, my friend. It says, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. I want in. It's my church. I want to do things my way, not your way. I want you to serve me through my power and my strength. He says, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive thy sins and will heal their land. 
The answer is right here. And let's not allow the philosophy of Hezekiah. Tell you what. We got a building. It's paid for. We've been fixing it up for a long time. and going to be fixing it up for a long time. Once we finish fixing it, we'll have to start over again. That's just part. Buildings aren't souls. They can lose their salvation, their conversion. We'll just have to do it again. But I'll tell you what. We're poised to see God do some very great things through this little church. But if we get the idea that God has blessed us and we're ready to serve him and stop seeing ourselves in the mirror of his word as we really are, he'll stop using this church. And if we want hope for this nation, it's revival does not happen in the world. It happens in the church. And a revival that doesn't see people added to his church is not a biblical revival. And we want no part of that. I'm not interested in phenomena, my friend. I just want to see people get saved. I don't want the miracles on 35th Street to stop. But that's not going to happen until we, as a church, humble ourselves. What's the next one? And pray. Do you know our prayer meeting is the least attended meeting of our church week? If we want God to bless us, we're going to have to have more people show up for prayer meeting. That's all there is to it. And seek my face. When is the last time your future decisions were based upon seeking the face of God? You say, but you don't understand. I got a horrible situation and I, if I just take this promotion, of course it means I can't be in church as much as I should be. Things would be so much better. No. They won't. They won't be better until you seek his face, until you seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Turn from your wicked ways. What is your wicked way? Every one of us has one or more. Maybe it's a temper. Maybe it's cynicism. Maybe it's selfishness. Of course, every sin in the world is related to selfishness. Selfishness is really just another word for pride. Me first. Every one of us do these things. Someone say, well, pastor, I've seen you. Well, hey, I'm a human being too. I don't claim perfection. When I preach a sermon, guess who I'm preaching to? If I can't preach to me first, why should I preach to you? This is a place where we struggle together to be obedient to the Word of God. That's how we buy the gold. 
that was tried in the fire. That's where we get that white raiment. That's how we anoint our eyes with eye salve so that we can see and open that door and let the Savior come in and commune with us. And better than that, we with Him. It goes both ways. And it says that He'll sit us in His throne even as the Father has set Him in His throne. The Father's throne. I'll tell you what. That's a promise that ought to be coveted after in the heart of every believer. To be considered worthy of God to sit with Him in His throne. Wow. That's what it says. It says, hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. I want God to bless this land again. But the answer's here. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer this morning. And Lord, I just ask that as we look forward to this holiday this week, that we would be thankful for all the blessings that you have blessed us with. But Lord, that we would open the mirror of your word and see ourselves as you see us. And we'd be able to admit and realize and understand our great poverty. But Lord, we do more than just understand our poverty we would come to you and buy the true riches. That we would purchase that raiment by obedience to your word, which is the righteousness of our Savior. The Lord, we would read your word until our eyesight were healed, that we would see and understand things as you would have us to. Lord, that we would be able to enjoy that communion with you and you with us. Please, dear Lord, work in hearts today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.